This episode of the Flush Podcast is brought to you by Waltons, Aluma Trailers, Sound Gear, Onyx Hunt, and by Nutrisource Pet Foods. My guest today is Andy Doak from NAVDA. NAVDA stands for North American Versatile Hunting Dog Association. Andy and I will get into the organization's history, their mission today, chapter opportunities and events around the country, and I'm pretty sure we'll dig into some bird hunting in his neck of the woods. That's in the far northeast corner of America. Welcome to another episode of the Flush Podcast. I'm Travis Frank. I'm your host, as always, Brandon Morton. Once again, brings us this production. Brandon, I appreciate all of your hard work. I must say, I've got a little bit of extra pep in my step today. I just got off a call with a friend of mine, Mike Jensen, that works for the state of North Dakota. And he had a lot of good news for us bird hunters. Let's just say the drought up there is almost completely gone, except for a few small areas uh, I wrote down a couple of numbers that jumped out to me. He said that the state's overall water index is currently up 660% from last year. It's a pretty big number. But of course, obviously, last year was a drought. Uh, the, the, the main takeaway is that he's excited about what he's seeing. Places in the state that typically are dry this time of the year, are lush. They're green. It's just looking ideal. The heavy rains have not hurt nesting conditions this spring. So he feels like we could have a banner, banner hunting season up there, which obviously a lot of our listeners and myself travel to North Dakota every year. Uh, another really uh, cool number that I wrote down was that the ducks overall they kind of have like a long-term average. Um, they're up 16% higher than last year. And that's now 38% above their long-term average. So if you like to shoot uh, ducks in the morning and then jump into the field and chase pheasants, sharp-tailed grouse, and huns like I do, then you may just want to put North Dakota back on your list if you didn't make it there last year. And if you did make it there last year, you might start getting excited like I am. Anyway, uh, they are going to have their spring counts available here uh, very soon in the next couple of weeks. And I will have, I believe, somebody from North Dakota Game and Fish on to join us and kind of break down what they're seeing around the state just to kind of get an idea. And then again, like always, as we lead into hunting seasons, we will we'll travel the country and we'll talk about what we're seeing, what people are seeing in their neck of the woods to kind of get an idea about how bird numbers are shaping up heading into the season. So um, it's middle of the June and I'm not normally thinking about hunting right now. Well, I'm always thinking about hunting actually, but I'm a little extra excited today, if you can't tell, Brandon. I've got a little more pep in my step, like I mentioned. I was just going to say, I'm so happy for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And as long as we're uh, housekeeping items, as long as we're rambling off the top of the show here, next week we're going to have, uh, what do we, I don't know what we call it, but we're bringing the band back together. We're bringing, everyone's coming in. Ron, Shara, Bill Shirk, Scott Franz, and we're all going to be, uh, recording the show next week because uh, we've made it a tradition at the start of the new 
TV season of episodes, we like to get together and have a little roundtable discussion, talk about what we liked, what we didn't like, what we're excited for, what we're dreading going into this coming year. And like last year, we want to consider this as an opportunity for you, the listeners, to ask questions to any of us. I believe we're going to post a couple of um, maybe a video or two next week on our social channels, inviting you to submit comments or questions that we will talk about next week on the show because a new season of The Flush starts airing the last week of June on the Outdoor Channel. And we're going to run, as always, all the way through the end of the year through December. So this will be kind of our kickoff. We're, we're celebrating. We've done a lot of work. Our team behind the scenes is always working. And we've been high-fiving some incredible shows. I'm excited to hit the air. Um, so it's a little mini celebration for us. And right after we get done with that celebration, we're having our planning meeting for next year's episodes, which means we're going to be throwing out ideas. Where do we want to go? Who do we want to hunt with? And that's your invitation to send us your invites, your ideas. If you have an idea of a place that you think would be a great destination, adventure, uh, inspire other hunters somehow, some way to get out in the field, then we want to hear from you. We may join you in the field this season, the woods, the field, wherever it is that you chase upland birds. Um, we want to share your stories. So wherever you have found us in the past, social media wise, or send me a message or go to the flush.tv, which is our website. There's contact forms everywhere. Direct message us. Send us what you're thinking about invites, whatever it might be, questions. We'll take them all. We'll talk about them. We'll maybe see you out in the field and film a TV show with you. So how's that, Brandon? That's fantastic. Are, are, was was the rumor correct that we're recording from a boat or was that scrapped? <laughs> was that idea? I'm not sure. That's the last I heard. I don't know. Yeah, Scott Franzen got a new boat. Good for him. Uh, and he's like, let's do it from my boat. Let's record the show from the boat. I'm like, no, we're not recording from the boat. You're going to have a wind noise. And plus, when I put a line in the water, the fish can't help but bite. So I'll be too distracted. It just, it'll just it won't make for good for good podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> it should be an awesome show. I look forward to it and getting questions in is, is really the best way for us to guide future shows. So it's awesome. I agree. I agree. Yeah. We want to hear from everyone that listens, that has ideas, questions, comments, whatever it might be about how bad we are at shooting and how poor the dogs did or whatever it might be. Or maybe it was a good one. I don't know. Maybe we did well once. <laughs> Brandon, and we have some good, <laughs> some good feedback. Once. Yeah, no, I'm, I would say 96% of our comments and feedback are positive. So we appreciate that. Yes. <laughs> we like that. We'll keep it that way. All right. All right. Andy Doak is our guest today. I'm not going to waste any more of his time. Andy, welcome to the show. We really appreciate you taking the time today. I know you had to maneuver some things in your schedule. So it means it means a heck of a lot to us. We appreciate it. Yeah, sure. I'm really glad to be here. I know... Um... Anytime we get to talk about dogs and NAVDA and organizations we're uh, passionate about, it's always a good thing. Yeah. So you live in Maine. Is that correct? I do. I do. What, what part of the state? Um, I grew up and I actually live still in, the, in I guess you'd call the central part of the state, uh, just to the east of the capital. Gotcha. And... Rumor has it, well, it's not rumor because you told me this, but <laughs> you hunt in some pretty exceptional rough grouse habitats up there in that part of the country. We do. I mean, Maine is well known for um, 
rough grouse and woodcock, obviously those are our two, uh, main upland birds. I say main, you know, the majority of people, uh, hunt those birds in the Northeast. And we certainly have many areas, different pockets, different parts of the States, those type of birds, uh, very well, uh, particularly in the Northwestern part of the state. That's where I spend most of my time, uh, chasing birds around with our dogs. So it's, uh, I feel pretty blessed. And I know a lot of the people that, um, I know live in this state and even a lot of people that I know, uh, live out of state that I'm friends with through NAVDA. Um, usually they try and make a trip to Maine and one once in a lifetime to, to chase uh, rough grouse and woodcock around. So I've been very fortunate. I've hunted rough grouse and woodcock in Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, Ontario. I consider this part, upper Midwest, you know, this region, excellent rough grouse and woodcock uh, hunting. But I've not hunted in the Northeast. And that is something that is still on my list because I, I don't know. I just, I love to experience the cultures and, and hunting all over the country. And we like to share that on our shows, obviously. Um, but have you hunted in the Midwest? I have, I've actually, uh, with a few of my NAVDA friends, we, uh, took a trip to Nebraska one time. Um, you know, the sand hills chasing, uh, sharp oh, yeah. out there and, you know, I've trained uh, with some folks in the Midwest, you know, particularly in uh, Wisconsin area, Minnesota, that sort of thing. Um, you know, I've been to NAVDA events, of course. Um, you know, we have a big event in uh, Iowa. Uh, usually every other year are, are one of our flagship events, the Invitational. So, you know, out there, you know, it's it's awe-inspiring when I go out there and see just open plains because that's that's not what we have in, in the Northeast, nothing like that. So have you hunted rough grouse though in our forests? Not in yours. I have, um, I used to live in Vermont. There was a short time where I lived in Vermont and, you know, same, same type of habitat. Um, same thing for New Hampshire. I've, I've hunted rough grouse in New Hampshire and Vermont, but nothing, uh, not chasing grouse and woodcock in your neck of the woods. Gotcha. So I think what I'm trying to get at is I don't have any way to tell people, yes, it's better in the, you know Maine than it is over here, or we really have it good over here um, mm. because I can't I can't compare it, and I guess you can't either. But what does a normal normal um, grouse and woodcock hunt play out for you when you step into the woods with your dogs? So for um, usually I'm with. Um my wife, um, she has, uh, two dogs too, as well, two poodle pointers and, uh, either my father or her, uh, my father-in-law, we, or, you know, other NAVDA members, uh, that might be along with us. Um, the terrain that we look for, um, it's probably very similar to you. We look for those early successional habitat type cuts, you know, those, those, um, areas of land that have been harvested of their timber, um, in, in a variety of different ways, you know, I'm sure, you know, grouse and woodcock are very, uh, they're adaptable to different habitat. Um, but they certain, and they're, they're, um, they have the ability to eat a variety of different things. Um, and, uh, what they really love is of course, those, uh, areas that are always continuously harvested. So there's various different, um, levels of, of tree growth. Um, hardwoods, even softwoods, you know, those hardwoods, softwood lines that meet up. Um, so we're typically in an area of Maine, we'll look for those areas, um, that have that habitat and, uh, there's pockets of, of that all around the state, but the prime area is for us that we're fortunate to have 
some property in the northwestern part of the state, and that whole area um, is is uh, well known for being uh, heavily commercially forested um, on set schedules and rotations, and there's always that type of habitat. So uh, that first and foremost, we're looking for that, right? We're looking for mm-hmm. you know where you know if you're gonna hunt birds, you're gonna try and find where areas that are going to hold birds. And, you know, typically if you're in those areas, um, you know, you're also myself, I really love hunting woodcock, uh, as well too. So we might, we're going to, you know, dip into some woodcock covers that we know too, as well. Um, but you know, we're, we're headed out with the dogs, maybe going to a location, uh, we might hunt a cover. Um, you know, if we don't find anything, you know, maybe in an hour to an hour, uh, or we get a couple flushes here and there. Um, we might, you know, jump back in the truck, go to a different spot. Um, and you know, hopefully the next spot is, you know, that honey hole that you always look for. So it's, um, you know, we plan our trips. We'd like to hopefully spend, you know, a week or two, particularly in October. Um, October is really the prime time, particularly late October. Um, usually I, um, I'm a big duck hunter as well too. And I usually try and spend actually the first week in October duck hunting. And then I, uh, first or second week, and then I switch over to grouse hunting in the third or fourth week of, uh, of October. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of a snapshot, but we, we, um, mm-hmm. we're, we're always looking for that habitat. That's, that's where you're going to find birds. Well, I mean, that's a deal. I exactly what we do here in Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan. I mean, we're always promoting logging practices and, and healthy forests and that, that, um, <clears throat> you know, the different age groups of trees. And it sounds the same. When you go into the woods, what is a, what is a great day for you? What's a terrible day? Um, and I'm, I'm just curious, you know, I'm looking at bird numbers here, you know, like what do you experience when you go out there? So, um, a rough day, I'll describe a rough day, which of course I've had many of those, right? Everybody has. Mm, we all have. Um, yep. Yeah. So a rough day, probably going to be one of those like overcast rainy days. Um, you know, if you have time off, of course you still during hunting season, it's precious. So you're probably still going to go out. Um, you might be driving to your spots and maybe you see some birds on the road. Maybe you don't those though. If it's a real kind of stormy day, you know, the birds are probably going to hunker down for cover. Um, you're just probably not going to see many birds on those days. Um, and, and that's very typical. Um, a good day would be that sort of bluebird day. Uh, the weather's not too hot, probably in that like, you know, 55 to 65 degree weather, that autumn, autumn time period, probably by the third week of October up in Maine, most of the leaves have come down. So that also gives you a benefit, um, you know, whether you're in the woods to actually get shooting opportunities, or I should say better shooter opportunities in maybe the early part of the month. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and we might head out, you know, early morning hunt for a few hours, um, a good average day, um, as far as I would say the number of contacts, um, that I typically see for rough grouse is probably like maybe seven to 12 birds in a day. Of course, uh, we're not maybe harvesting all those, you know, depending on what shooting opportunities are. Uh, that's about average for us, uh, you know, to get, um, that many contacts, a really good day. You know, I've personally had days where I've moved and seen up to 50 or 60 rough grouse in a day. Pretty easy. That's incredible. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's exceptional hunting. Yeah. I, I would say it sounds similar to what we have here. Are you, do you consider your bird numbers up there to be stable, 
Um, are you concerned at all about rough grouse numbers in that part of the country? Um, I would say concerned in, in different areas of Maine. Um, not so much in that northwestern part because, again, the habitat is just there. Uh, the the organizations and the and the companies that own that property, you know, they're, they're investment uh, forest companies and they're always cutting that property so that habitat is always created. Um, you know, but there are, there also are many people that do, um, projects on their property. Myself, I'm, I'm fortunate to own some property, uh, with my father and we've had, uh, projects that the rough grouse society has advised us on, on how to cut our property to, uh, make it so that it's more attractive for rough grouse. And we've, we've seen that pay off. We've seen that directly pay off as, as a benefit to those organizations that are really habitat oriented coming in and helping us out. Um, but in general, um, Maine is known for having really good numbers. I wouldn't say that there's, um, a concern as say some of the more States that are, uh, South of Maine, uh, sure. you know, in the Northeast, um, certainly we hear States that just, you know, you hear all these stories about, you know, um, guys that were hunting grouse in the fifties, sixties and seventies, and now they in their States and now they don't see them anymore at all. Yeah, um, Pennsylvania I, I, comes to mind a lot mm-hmm. as far as, and I know that's not extreme northeast, but that's that's east. And I feel like I hear from a lot of Pennsylvania bird hunters that say, "Boy, I saw you know a, like a two or three or five this year, or something like that." And it's just it's such a shame that it's not what it once was. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, let's get into um, the meat and potatoes here. This, I, we. Mm-hmm. We could talk birds all day, but let's talk dogs because that's really what I wanted to have you on to discuss. What is your role with NAVDA and how long have you been involved with that organization? Sure. Uh, my role is I serve as the director of promotions um, for NAVDA. So again, as you mentioned, NAVDA stands for North American Versatile Hunting Dog Association. I've been involved, um, actually active in the organization uh, you know, right around the time where I got my first uh, dog for about almost 15 years now. Um, I actually knew about the organization growing up as a kid since um, I was probably seven or eight years old. I would see demonstrations at, sport, at local sportsman shows, you know, local NAVDA chapters be putting on a demonstration. I knew about the organization since I was very, very young, and it always, always interested me uh, to get involved. In, and then uh, when I kind of settled down in my early twenties. Uh, that's when I was able to, uh, get my own dog. And, and I knew that the organization I want to be involved with was NAVDA. Um, so that's kind of where, uh, my involvement, what I do with NAVDA is, is I'm fortunate to interact on a variety of, uh, with our, with our members, with our local chapters. I also, I also manage all our, uh, sponsor, and conservation partner agreements, um, the companies that support NAVDA in a variety of different ways. Um, so it's kind of a overall, um, overall role to help the organization grow, uh, look for more people that are going to support us. And, uh, we certainly have done that, um, as far as growth goes in particularly in the last 10 years, for sure. Where's the home base for NAVDA? Um, it's actually in, um, it's actually in Illinois. Um, okay. so yeah, Arlington Heights. Um, so, uh, we have an office there, full office staff of, of, of a number of people that do a variety of things for us administratively, uh, by and by and large, uh, NAVDA is, uh, made up of volunteers. Uh, and I'm, I'm one of those as well. I'm not a paid, 
uh, individual uh, from NAVDA. So I serve the organization in a volunteer uh, capacity like the large majority of our members do. I'm always amazed when people give their time like you're doing right now and that you've done for as long as you have, you know, but I, I ask sometimes, why do you do it? Mm-hmm. That's uh, sometimes we ask, sometimes we always ask ourselves <laughs> sure. that, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, um, and it's funny, you know, if I'm at a NAVD event, everybody at some point, somebody look around like, man, why are we doing this? You know? Uh, but, but it's, but it's, it's, it's always the same answer. It's always the same answer. Um, people come into this organization. Uh, they're looking for help with a hunting dog. They're, they're hunting, Birds hunting waterfowl uh, is something that interests them. They're looking for support where they can get that support. And what they find is NAVDA chapters, NAVDA people in general share that same passion and they want others to succeed as well. So um, the culture that's within NAVDA is a very, uh, if you want to call it mentoring, if you want to call it a family environment, um, if you want to call it, um, you know, just people that want to see uh, friendships develop and hunting opportunities develop with your friends. It's all of the above, right? It's all of those yeah. good things that when you're thinking about stepping into the world of getting a hunting dog that you would hope that you experience and NAVDA offers that to, to anybody that's willing to take that and absorb that information. So when you have that, when you have that volunteer spirit, that helping spirit that just fosters people, to want the to want to see the organization succeed. There's just been some really passionate uh, people historically over the years. Uh, the people that started now to the pe- in you know 1969, and c- have you continued on that uh, just for so many so many years now? Um, Who originally and, started it? Do you know? Yeah, a guy named Bodo Winterheld, and he was um, a German immigrant who actually immigrated to Canada first. Um, that's kind of can, Canada and the U.S. were really kind of um, where NAVDA all started. Um, and again, 1969, a group of people got together and said, hey, this let's create an organization in North America that can provide an opportunity for people to get their dogs evaluated on how good or bad the dog is as a, uh, a hunting companion. So, um, that's kind of the basis of why the organization started a lot of the, um, a lot of the meth, uh, the methods that came in and, and the evaluation of dogs were designed, of course, off have a heavily German influence, um, you know, European influence of what some of the things that we look for, uh, when a, when a dog runs an ab to test. Um, so that's, that's the bulk of it. Gotcha. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot of ways I can go with this, but let's let's keep getting into some of the nuts and bolts about the organization. So you've got, mm-hmm. uh, I want to say, ninety plus chapters. Do you know how many chapters do you have around the country? Yeah, yeah, we do. That's correct. We actually have ninety six. Um, okay. We operate. We have a uh, chapters in thirty nine different states in the U.S. and six Canadian provinces. Wow. So we are all over the place. Um, I would love to see NAVDA in every Canadian province and 50 states, including Hawaii. We don't have a chapter in Hawaii, but we have two chapters in Alaska though. Uh, so that's, yeah, that's great. We have a very active membership in Alaska 
Uh, and there's a lot of challenges up there, even getting birds that those guys have, and, and they do an exceptional job. Uh, but yeah, we're spread out very diversely. Um, if you look at how uh, we are, I mean, we're, we're broken up, you know, the majority of the chapters being in the north northeast, you know, every geographical area, northeast, midwest, and the west, uh, you can find a NAVDA chapter that's probably close by. Now, what is the role of each chapter? I, I, I think it's most people could probably relate it similar to Pheasants Forever. You know, obviously mm-hmm. we partner with them and work with them a lot. Quail Forever, there's chapters around the country that are made up of individual volunteers. But how does NAVDA chapters around the country run? How do they run them? Sure. So um, that's kind of answered in two ways. So NAVDA as an organization is really structured at two levels. You have NAVDA International, of course, which is the parent organization, and then all the chapters fall under NAVDA International as part of International. Um, what the chapters really do for the organization and any member is they're the core group, the people that are really providing that hands-on, you know, boots on the ground, training opportunities and testing opportunities for members of NAVDA. So they're the ones, the chapters themselves are usually hosting opportunities for training for individuals that are members of the chapter or, or prospective members. And um, the, also one of the core things that they do is the chapters are the ones that actually host um, our dog evaluation tests. You know, I say test, but, every, you know, if you use the term hunt test, um, yep. you know, people are very familiar with that term. That's, that's really essentially, if you wanted to break it down, that's what the chapters actually uh, functionally do. In addition to all that, there's also that um, camaraderie that is built at the local chapter level, those people supporting each other. Uh, you know, that's where the core friendships are all made, right? Chapter levels. Mm-hmm. I belong, of course, to a local local NAVDA chapter and, and heavily involved in And really, most all members are. They have their home base at their local chapters. And and um, and that's where the nuts and bolts actually takes, takes place of the organization. And NAVDA International, of course, oversees um, really a lot of the administrative side of things, uh, memberships, uh, some of our special programs, um, you know, we, we, we oversee kind of everything and, and develop the structure for, for the whole organization to operate under. Roughly how many members do you have nationwide or worldwide? So we've now peaked, um, just recently over 11,000 members. Uh, and that includes members in the U S and Canada total. Okay. Gotcha. Why do you think you, you say peak? Why, why is it that you're peaking? I, I mean, is it still, are you still, is it a steady trajectory that you're growing? Well, I say peaked. I mean, I should, my, the correct word is we've exceeded 11,000 and, and we actually, uh, interestingly enough, um, NAVDA has been growing, um, incredibly strong, particularly in the last 10 to 12 years. Um, our growth rate on average, uh, we, grow the organization by just under 10% every year. Okay. Uh, we've been, we've been consistently doing that for the last 10 years, meaning, uh, our membership numbers increase by, uh, uh about 10%, just under 10% every year. Uh, we've doubled in size, uh, since about 2010. Um, so we've seen a huge surge in people just wanting to be involved in NAVDA and have own hunting dogs and, and enjoy themselves. Aluma trailers, 
They've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa. They have models for nearly any and every hauling need, from ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. Trust me when I say Aluma trailers tow gear like a dream, and they are 100% maintenance-free. Plus, they come with an industry-best five-year warranty. Visit alumakln.com to find a trailer that fits your needs. For everything that gets you outdoors, Aluma Trailers will help you get there. Nutrisource Pet Foods just launched a new product that can give our active hunting dogs a big boost when they need it most. It's called Kombucha. Nutrisource Kombucha, inspired of course by kombucha, is a savory, meaty bone broth topper that's packed with activated postbiotics from a fermentation product that thrives in the gut to promote a healthy gut ecosystem for digestion support. That's a mouthful. But what it means for us bird dog owners is that we now have a healthy topper to pour over our dog's food if they're ever stressed or won't eat while on a long hunting trip. Kombucha is offered in three flavors, turkey, beef, and chicken, and comes in a 12-ounce pouch. Nutrisource high-performance dog foods provide exceptional, healthy nutrition for active dogs of every breed, just like my dog, Daisy. Now they have a topper that gives our four-legged hunters another edge when they need it the most. Check out their full lineup of dog foods at NutrisourcePetFoods.com. Hey, hunters and shooters, whether you're in the field, at the range, or on the factory floor, hearing is the key to your success and safety, and you need to protect it. The all-new Phantom from Soundgear is here to help. Phantom delivers benefits no other product can. Dynamic digital noise protection for your ears. Seamless compression automatically suppresses noises at dangerous levels. Stream calls, music, or other audio wirelessly from your phone. One overnight charge keeps you powered all day long. And Phantom is custom molded to your ear and is sweat and waterproof, so it's comfortable all day. Soundgear is American-owned and operated and a proud sponsor of Pheasants Forever. Go to soundgear.com and see how Phantom or any of the other Soundgear products can change your life by protecting your hearing. That's soundgear.com. Do you think, and I might be wrong here, but I have seen what I think is a pretty steady rise in the different breed of dogs that I see in the field mm-hmm. that I hunt with. A lot of German dogs, a lot of, just a variety of them. And it is that the rise in popularity of these breeds, is that bringing people to your organization or... Are you bringing, I mean, I guess, what kind of dog breeds do you have to have to be a part of your organization? Yeah, so um, the short answer to your question is yes, absolutely. Um, NAVDA recognizes 31 different what we call versatile breeds, right, that mm-hmm. that uh, point upland game on land and also uh, hunt waterfowl, are capable of hunting waterfowl. Do they have um, to point? Uh on, on, well, during our test opportunities, yes, absolutely. That's okay. that in order for the dog to be, you know, a scored at a higher level, that pointing, uh, is something that we look at, um, very strongly in our testing system for sure. Gotcha. So, so yeah, keep going. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Um, so, so on that topic of pointing all the breeds that we recognize are pointing breeds. Um, that we're not an organization that, uh, recognizes non-pointing breeds, and that's really just the way that organization has uh, um, was started and has continued on for the last you know fifty plus years. Um, but on on your question about 
seeing more breeds involved, you know, whether you go to a hunt, hunt test just in the time that I've been involved. And it's typically if, if you showed up at a NAVDA test or a NAVDA clinic, maybe you'd see three to five different breeds of dogs, the most common, you know, the German short hair, the German wire hair, their Griffon has become extremely more popular. Um, there's, there's a, a number of breeds that kind of were all that, always that staple, uh, for versatile hunting dogs. Now, if you go to a NAVDA test, I remember there was a test that I heard about just uh, the other weekend where, you know, typically at our younger, uh, stage, you can, you can test up to 10 dogs per day in our, in our entry level test. And there was a test recently where there were literally 10 different breeds of dogs, uh, wow. you know, and, and that's incredible, right. Of the 31 breeds, you know, there's a third of them represented on one day. Um, and, uh, it's crazy, right. Something. It's crazy. Yeah. Yes. So, um, and, and I, I'd, I'd like to think that NAVDA has been a very instrumental part of the growth of first of hunting dog breeds, particular pointing breeds, obviously, because our core mission, if you look at what our core mission is, it's to foster the growth and the development of the versatile breeds in North America. So certainly there's breeds that, you know, have smaller numbers, but when you're involved in an organization like, like NAVDA, uh, it just promotes those breeds to do well. It promotes, um, a responsible breeding from those breeders that own those dogs. And you, you naturally see, uh, that growth. There's been a couple breeds in recent years, um, that have really, really become, uh, Popular is not the right word, but uh, they've been noticed as, you know, performing well. Um, what are they? So one of those breeds that's that's on the higher end of more dogs that are tested now um, is the Poodle Pointer. Um, that is a, another breed that um, is actually a foundation breed for the for the German wire hair. My wife owns two Poodle Pointers. Um, ironically, um, I also own an English Setter, which is a, a far less common uh, breed to be tested in now. There's, there's only about 20, uh, English setters on average that are tested in the NAVDA system, uh, per year. And now NAVDA, why, why is that? Well, certainly there are breeds that people don't think of as there. I, I should say that are traditionally looked at as, um, have their specialties, right? I mean, mm -hmm. when I, when you think about like an English pointer, um, as a dog, that's a specialty type of dog, right? If maybe look at an English setter as a specialty type of dog, uh, even, even, you know, some people put the retriever breeds, right. That's a specialty because they're focused on, on retrieving. NAVDA is an interesting organization because we recognize that those breeds can also do also have the ability to do water work. Right. So, mm -hmm. um, sure. My English setter, I've tested her all the way up. Um, right through some of the higher levels and been very successful with her. Um, and, and I, I'm kind of a, I guess you could call me a nut about that stuff because I like it when, you know, um, I like seeing something that's different. I like seeing something that, that isn't as common as, you know, um, some of the other breeds you always think about. And I've really enjoyed training my English setter through the NAVDA system because, um, it, it's kind of like one of those deals where you're like, Ah, wait a minute. You know, I mean, I, I still get questions like, you know, does, does the dog retrieve ducks? And I'm thinking, you know, how, how would she get this high, you know, a, a test score, <laughs> which is part of the test, right? If she can't do this task, right. It's about, 
it's about being able to teach a dog, regardless of the breed, if they have those instincts, that they can be successful on land and water. At the same time, I also own a German short hair, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Pheasants Forever, um, you know, just had uh, the bird dog campaign where to raise money to support habitat. And of course, the German short hair has been the most popular breed. Uh, for the last few years now, and, I was going to say, and, yeah, they keep they keep taking it. <laughs> yeah, year after I don't year, th- they keep taking it. I don't think that's going to be a long shot for them to be knocked off the podium. And and certainly, there are more uh, still. There are still many many German short hairs that are registered and and bred and um, tested in the NAVDA system. So, um, but again, that diversity. You know, we my wife and I we own three you know, three of the 31 different breeds. Um, and, um, I enjoy just seeing different breeds be, be successful, you know, and I, th- I think that that's what, um, NAB is all about seeing people be successful with their dog. So to become a member or to have your dogs tested in there, what kind of information do people need to provide about their dogs before you can get in? Sure. So first and foremost, if you want to run in the NAVDA test, uh, the dog would need to be registered, you know, with NAVDA. There's a process to do that. Um, we have a form for, you know, has to be obviously one of our accepted breeds and can be registered uh, within NAVDA. Um, once the dog's registered with NAVDA, if you, the, again, the local chapters are the ones that are actually hosting the test. So an individual would need to seek out a local chapter figure out if they have an opening in a test, um, fill out a standard uh, test entry form. Um, they're going to include their dog's registration number, themselves, who the handler is. Um, you know, sometimes the handler is different uh, than the owner, but very commonly the large percent of the handlers are also the owners of their dogs in NAVDA. And, and that's one thing about NAVDA is people want to train their own dogs. They want to have that own experience and and uh, be the one that's that hunting companion with their dog. So Many, many times over, it's typically um, the handler is also the owner. Um, and if there's a spot open in a test um, for that particular level that you're looking to test your dog, um, that would go through the local chapter and 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 get approved, and and then you're entered in the test. How? Um, <clears throat> what kind of information does somebody get? about their dog that can be helpful or beneficial to run a test. Maybe somebody says, you know what? I don't need a scorecard for my dog. I love hunting with my dog and Mm -hmm. she does great in the field or he does excellent in the woods and that's all I need. So I'm not really going to take it in another step, but there's got to be benefits that you, you get by bringing your dog out and, and working through some of these tests, right? Yeah, so now we're getting into really the the real meat and potatoes of why NAVDA, in my opinion, um, has become a successful organization and the growth of those breeds we talked about. And it's because um, at every level of NAVDA tests, um, which is four different levels, uh, when your dog is tested, it'll be scored on different criteria, which are, of course is designed to, to mimic uh, different hunting scenarios, uh, field work, tracking work in some cases, uh, water work, water retrieving work, um, a, a whole variety of different things that, that is looked at uh, when a NAVDA judge, judges, plural, look at your dog and are evaluating it for the day. At the end of the day, of course, you'll get a score and a prize level. Um, and it, it's interesting because 
what happens with that data is it goes back to our office. Our office records that data in a very extensive database that we've actually have had since 1969. So we have every record of every dog that's tested, been tested in NAVDA uh, over the years. And what that does is it allows um, it, it allows good information when breeders are trying to look for uh, the, their next uh, sire and dame to match up to be successful hunting dogs. So they'll look for those criteria. You know, was was the dog strong in pointing? Was it strong strong in its field search? Um, did it have any issues? Uh, you know, at the at the uh, steady by the blind ish, uh, sequence, which is a retrieve a duck in water. Um, there's all these criteria that that um, that breeders can look at, and puppy buyers can look at that information too. Um, that's all linked to every single dog's pedigree as well too, so you can see where that dog came from. Uh, in a nutshell, it's the most comprehensive database, both as far as the registry, meaning you know our pedigrees and where the dogs came from, also the testing information, uh, where what how that dog um, performed as a hunting dog, is the most extensive registration that exists for versatile hunting dogs. Fascinating. What what kind of information would a potential puppy buyer? learn about by going in and looking at that database? So if you're, if you're brand new to the organization, um, certainly a little guidance helps, right? If I'm going to get on the NAVDA website and search for a particular dog and I look at his test scores, um, trying to connect with the potential breeder, the breeder can hopefully guide that person to say, you know, okay, look, this, this siren name that we're matching up has been shown to have um, you know, a high score in pointing, um, a high score in its field search. Um, maybe a dog that, that if you're looking for a dog that's really strong in the water and you start looking at test scores, you know, maybe you, you try and look at that and say, uh, you know, this dog has shown over the years or this breeding or this line has shown that it's not as strong in the water as I'd want. And that may be important to you as a duck hunter. Um, Mm -hmm. the same goes for, um, the, the field stuff, you know, if you see continuous patterns or trends uh, that are either good or bad, that helps you as a, as a puppy buyer uh, to look for certain things. Um, uh, of course, you know, the dogs that, are, that have done very well in NABDA over the years are, are typically um, most commonly um, looked at as, hey, I'd like, to, I'd like to get a dog from a breeder that has shown that their dogs are trainable and they can be successful in NABDA tests. That's, that's kind of the overarching goal. Gotcha. And then once they, they might, like, let's just say a buddy of mine, we were out fishing two nights ago <clears throat> and he's got an old lab that mm-hmm. she might have another year, maybe two years left. And, and I said, are you ready to get another dog? And he said, yeah, I'm looking. And he goes, what do you think I should get? And I said, well, um, what do you want that dog to do? That's where you begin. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do with that dog? You know, and he went to, he actually said Poodle Pointer was a dog that he's been looking at. And I said, well, you got to figure out what does that dog do well? And does it match up with where you're hunting and what you're going to hunt for? Things like that. So I feel like NAVDA could be a great resource for him, right? Absolutely. And that's, that's kind of what, that's what we're all talking about here. You can, mm-hmm. Um, look at the NAVDA breeds. You can start doing your research on the NAVDA website. 
um, looking for specific breeders. We actually have a comprehensive list of all the recognized breeders um, listed um, throughout NAVDA. So if you're looking for maybe a breeder in your area, maybe you're looking for some, maybe you don't want to travel out of state or not that far. You'd like to find a breeder that's closer to you. We have a comprehensive list of every single breeder um, that's, that's registered in NAVDA. Uh, that's another resource as well. Um, and then at the same time, a, a lot of that, you know, core research is done, you know, picking up the phone and talking to that potential breeder, you know, about their dogs, what their personalities are like, you know, where have they hunted before, you know, and I think it's really important. The most successful dogs, uh, for, uh, particularly for new, t- new owners or, or dogs that are looking for a certain breed are a dog that are a good fit for that, for that person. You know, if you, um, want that dog that ranges out two, three, 400 yards, there certainly are those dogs, um, that do that and, and specific breeds that probably do that more. So like my setter, you know, she's a big ranging setter. Um, and you know, but there's also setters that hunt a little closer, um, in the Northeast where we hunt, you know, I'm my personal preference, you know, my dogs adjust to the woods and, and they sort of bring it in. Um, but if you're in the, if you're out West, maybe you want that dog that's going to stretch its legs a little bit more. Um, or, or you want a dog again, if you're looking for a waterfowl dog, maybe you're going to search for a breeder that focuses on, on training and more importantly, hunting their dogs in waterfowl situations. Sure. Yeah. And I would even say, let's, let's just say you're a pheasant hunter that hunts in Minnesota, for instance, and 95% of your pheasant flushes are coming out of cattails. That, mm-hmm. that setter, uh, that likes to run two, three, 400 yards. I can speak from experience cause that's what I have. Sometimes that's not the ideal dog for that hunt. It just mm-hmm. isn't my, my dog. She's a GSP setter mixed breed and she wants to range. She wants to get out there and see what's over the next hill. And when the cover works out, I'm fine with that. But a lot of times in cattails, it's just not ideal. So there's a, she, she gets some birds up. We get birds in cattails. Yes. But a lab was probably ideal for that hunting scenario. So then I tell people, if you're not going to go hunt in Western North Dakota or Montana or Nebraska to the Sandhills, you, you might not want that big ranging pointing breed dog because the mm. cover can be really challenging <clears throat> on, on a, on a setter. If you're stuck in cattails from opening day till the end of season and you don't leave them. So that's, that's, you know, there's things to be said about, you know, really thinking ahead. What are your goals? Where are you going to hunt with that dog? And then Andy, I think you kind of answered my question, but so my buddy, let's just say he says, all right, I, I'm going to go look at NAVDA. Uh, I'm seeing great numbers from some of these poodle pointers in the, in the system. Yes, I want to move forward. Then my question is, how do they know that they have a reputable breeder that they can connect with? And you guys, do you connect those dogs that are scored with the breeder that they came from? Um, in the test, in the, in the testing system, absolutely. So you can go look at the, the, the score of that dog and also look up that dog's name and actually find that dog's pedigree. So Mm. on that pedigree, of course, we'll list, uh, the breeder of that dog. So if you say, 
man, this line of dogs uh, looks really like something I'd look into. Who's the breeder? So you can go find that. And it's all linked through that database that I was talking about. It gives you like basically a direct, a direct link to those, to those breeders. Cool. Very cool. Um, you mentioned this right at the top the NAVDA Invitational. What is that and when is it? So that's our flagship event. Um, it's really the dogs that score a minimum of a prize one at the next lower level test, which is the utility test. Um, the dogs that score prize one in utility are the dogs that will actually get invited to the invitational the next year. That's, that's really where that term came from the invitational because it's an invite only test, uh, dogs that score that demonstrate that they're really proficient in certain areas. So, um, we rotate geographically each year, uh, where that test will take place. Um, it's, um, typically in the Midwest, kind of the we uh, Western, uh, a little bit further West of that. Um, uh, we have a, a location that's typically used, but this year it's actually being hosted for the first time in New Mexico, which a lot of people are very excited about, uh, big open country out there. And, um, that's coming up actually about the middle of September, that event. And, uh, that's, that's typically when it's held every year. There'll be four or 500 people there at that event pretty easily between people that are running dogs, uh, judging dogs, um, and all the people that come as family friends to support each other will also, uh, typically attend that event. It's, it's really, a, it's really kind of the big show, the, you know, um, the big event, I guess you could say the, of, of NAVDA as a whole. And will there be crowned a champion? So the way that works is dogs that pass a test. That's an, that's a, that's a interesting, um, difference. I think that you could say from the field trial world, um, it's, it's really a pass or fail at that level. So there'll be, if the dog meets certain criterias in the, uh, that invitational test, it will, it will pass. If it doesn't, it, it simply does not get a pass. If it passes, um, it will receive a title called versatile champion and those, uh, the VC letters go right, right in the pedigree, uh, for that dog. And it's recorded in that dog's, uh, record for life, uh, that it's considered a versatile champion. Um, wow. and, uh, a lot of people, um, know how hard it is to even get to that test. A lot of people know that it's a hard test to train for and pass. Um, and, um, it, it's one of those deals where I would encourage anybody who has an avid dog or any is even thinking about it. Uh, to give it a try because it's it's a it's a really special thing to um, experience uh, a, that type of test with you and your dog. And what happens is you make friends uh, even training for that test. You have to train with other people because uh, one of the components of that test is to run a brace, two dogs in the field at the same time that have to honor each other's point and be respectful for each other's point. And uh, you have to do that with multiple people when you train for that test. Um, so. It's a, it's a way to, again, uh, the, the entire testing system in NAVDA is designed for a mentoring, helpful type of, type of atmosphere. The Onyx Hunt app is one of the most valuable hunting tools that I take into the field every day. I talk about the Onyx Hunt app every week. That's simply because I use it on every hunt. Seriously, every hunt. Their app tells me everything that I need to know about the land that I want to hunt and the lands that we can all legally hunt on. 
If you've used it yourself, then you know that the Onyx app shows your location on planet Earth and clearly lays out the land boundaries. It also tells you information about the type of property you're on, like state-owned land, federal lands, and walk-in access properties. It's ideal for scouting before the hunt and during a hunt to help put together patterns. The app also has helpful features that show you the kind of crops that are in the fields, which obviously is a big deal for us upland bird hunters. These are just a few of the many tools Onyx Maps give you, and these maps can even be used in areas without cell coverage. From the palm of your hand, Onyx Maps always help you to know where you stand. Waltons, what can I say? They are the ultimate online store for everything you need to prepare and cook your meat. From wild game to pork and beef, they've got you covered. Their tagline is everything but the meat for a reason. A few weeks ago, they launched a new website to make your online shopping experience even easier. Waltons.com has over 5,000 items on their site in stock and ready to ship the same day. I went to their site the other day to purchase jerky seasoning for my son's big old gobbler. I found the seasoning I wanted. Wanted, plus barbecue sauce, a new thermometer, steak seasonings, gloves, and a handful of other items. There's so much to choose from. It's just incredible. From grinders, mixers, stuffers, slicers, smokers, vacuum sealers, seasonings, and so much more. They also host their own podcast called Meat Gistics and host live stream videos and chats to help you make the most of your cooking experience. Check them out at waltons.com. We talk all the time on this show about the importance of a good mentor. So it just seems you've, you've mentioned this over and over again, which makes sense mm. to me to say, if you're looking for a mentor and you have a hunting dog that you want to get involved with some of these things, finding the local, the, the nearest NAVDA chapter to you makes sense. So I'm assuming you just right. go on, type in NAVDA, and then from there you'll find the list of different chapters in the, the uh, maybe the main contact for that chapter? Is that how that works? Uh, yep. You basically described it all. You basically go to navda.org, our website. You can find a chapter locator map. Um, you can click on the state that you're in or some state that you might be interested. A list will come up. List that, nav- that NAVDA chapter, who the main point of contacts are, where the web- their website. I mean, we want we want that information out there so people that are interested in involved in NAVDA can, can seek out that local chapter where you're going to find that you know, mentor that might help you out. I mean, everybody, including myself has, you know, critical people that they could look back and say, you know, that guy mentored me and helped me. And he's the reason why I'm involved. And I, I, you know, I have a number of people that I could, I could look at that have helped me in various ways over the years, um, that have mentored me and still mentor me, you know, um, you know, even though I'm involved, um, at the chapter level and the international level, um, I still consider, um, there's always something to learn. There's always something to learn about dogs. There's always something for me to learn about and understand about the organization, particularly as we grow. Um, you know, this is, uh, you know, the hunting environment is, is changing, um, ever so quickly nowadays. And, um, and, and we know that, and we, you know, we as hunters need to adapt to that and, 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 uh, keep doing what we enjoy, you know? Right. Right. Have you ever judged an event? Oh, yes, absolutely. So um, I myself am a judge. Um, There's about 150 judges um, within NAVDA. Uh, During a NAVDA test, you'll actually have three judges that judge your dog. Um, And that's that's another real benefit um, to the NAVDA system. Having three judges, um, always looking at your dog, always looking at the same criteria, 
maybe um, one judge sees doesn't see something for some reason or you know over this dog went over the knoll and another judge was in an angle where it could see that dog you know established point um whereas whereas you know that's going to be a a a good thing uh for that dog in that case um so there's three judges at each test um i i certainly that's one of the things that um i'm very active in um is actually participating in in uh in judging uh dogs as well I bet it'd be kind of fun, but is it also, does it, you put pressure on yourself or is it just more laid back for everybody? Um, certainly. I mean, I, the way I look at it and the way, um, we are brought up as judges through the apprenticeship program, there's a, there's a, there's a very extensive apprenticeship program where you're learning kind of how to be the ins and outs of a judge. Um, one of the things that is always, um, a focus of a judge is to understand that, you know, these people put a lot of time, they put a lot of money in their dogs. They're very attached to that dog. Um, and you want to give them the best opportunity and that, that you can to give a fair evaluation uh, to the dog as a whole, as a whole, be professional as, as possible during these events. Um, and, and, and because the judges our judges also are required to test dogs at different levels in certain time periods. So what that does is it, it, it focuses us to always understand, um, where the handler is coming from. You know, it's not for some people, it's not easy to put their dog up for evaluation. Um, you know, particularly if it's your best pal and and the day doesn't go well. Um, and I've been in that situation as well too. I mean, I think everybody has had those days where it just was an off day, you know, during the test. Um, can, can yeah. I stop you there? Can I ask, what yeah. is that like for you then having gone through it, having those days that are tough? Because I think a lot of us, when we're out hunting, um, we could say, man, my dog just blew that one up. You know, like <laughs> yep. we could have had an awesome day, but my dog just had an off day. And then sometimes you have a great day and you're like, what, right. what is going on with you? So when you have those days in front of judges, people, I mean, you've got to be intimidated. You got to leave oh, with yeah. your head hanging. How do you pick it back up? So again, that's a good reason why the judges always have to continue to test dogs because they need to have that feeling of, you know what? It's, it's, it's stressful, you know, and, and things, and things may not go up. We have to, no matter what happens, we still have to judge every dog for the standards, but on those days, sure. We, we, we deal with some situations sometimes where people are frustrated. They're frustrated maybe at themselves. They're frustrated at their dog. They're frustrated at a lot of things, you know, and what the people that have been around in NAVDA a, a while, I say a while, maybe three, four five years or more that have maybe tested a dog past the, the puppy stage, the natural ability stage, which is the first, uh, first test level. Um, understand I learn more from my failures than my successes. You know, if something didn't go right, if I thought, if I was going into a test and I'm like, man, I feel so confident right now. My dog is going to tear up the field. She's going to go and retrieve those ducks. And like, it's been going so well. And then all of a sudden, like you said, something comes up where you're like, wow, I've never seen her do that before. Or the the situation unfolded right that i never put her in that training scenario we didn't train for something you know over time 
as people stay involved in this organization, if you're able to self-reflect a little bit, you look back and say, you know, I, I got to learn from that. And if I learn and I apply it and do well, I'm just going to make myself a better hunter. I'm going to make my dog a better hunter. And then the next dog that I have, I'm going to learn from those mistakes. And I'm just going to, as time goes on, I'm going to enjoy my hunting time more and more as the years go on. And And yeah, that makes total sense. And I have to imagine that, you know, there's people that you become friends with that you're walking out there, they're watching your dog. Yeah. They're giving them a grade, a score, but you can probably say, gosh, you know, that's a struggle that I've worked on with her, but we just haven't gotten through that. And you might get advice right there in the field from somebody that's gone through it too and says, I got through that and here's what mm-hmm. I did. You know, so yep. the the mentor role can come in a lot of different ways, but just advice from somebody out there with you. I I, I wish I don't think I can get my dog I don't think she qualifies for Navda because she's a mixed breed, right? Just I think have, that's uh, Yes. Um, I think that's the short hair you meant, you mentioned earlier, right? That's, yeah. That's, she's that's a, yep. I don't know if you know Tyler Webster, but he's a North mm-hmm. Dakota bird hunter yep. and I got one of his dogs, but I've hunted with both of his, um, the mom and dad from Daisy, my dog, and they're just both rock stars. And so is this girl when she decides to hunt with me and not for herself. But anyway, that's a different story. She's, uh, but yeah, I, I talked to, I think it was Ron Bayham a few years ago, a couple mm-hmm. years ago when I first got her. He said, yeah, she doesn't qualify. You can't enter her into it. Although she's very versatile. She yeah. obviously loves hunting upland birds, but I've taken her duck hunting before. She loves retrieving and she loves the water. So for me as a hunter, even though I can't enter her in, into NAVDA, I think she would do pretty well. I really do. Yeah. And, you know, for sure. I mean, like I said, NAVDA recognizes, you know, specific breeds that are purebred dogs. I'll tell you, my personal view is I enjoy, you know, if you and I hunted together and I saw your dog do some great things and made you happy as a hunter and made, made your day, you know, that's, that's why we do this, right? We do it yeah. because, you know, we want to have a great time. Sure. I'm a diehard NAVDA guy and I, I believe in the, 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 the NAVDA programs and, and, and as I said, why, you know, the registry and the information, I believe that th- that as a whole has been extremely beneficial for the versatile breeds over the years, but at its core, I mean, we all like to go and have fun. We all like to, you know, rib our buddies a little bit about their dog, or maybe they missed a shot. And like, you know, we remember, we, that's, we remember that stuff. You know I mean? Those are some of the best memories you, we've had. And I, I'm sure you have those, you know, with your mixed breed short hair. And that's, that's not a bad thing. Oh, absolutely. And that's as far as the journey, you know, the hunting journey. Yes. We'll remember some of those great shots that we made in the field, but I get ripped on, you know, a lot of my stories are getting like thrown off a horse and, you know, stuff like that. The things that don't go as planned and that's the stuff you remember. And my dog, the first hunt in the Badlands in North Dakota, running 1.3 miles until (laughs) the GPS lost her signal and I had to go find her in the bottom of a canyon. You know, like that wasn't what I wanted at all, but boy, I sure remember everything about it. So those moments, the memories, it's all part of it. I, I, well, we can wrap this up. Uh, I've got plenty more questions, but we'll just wrap it up. Do you have any stories from a NAVDA trial event, um, a test that stand out to you? Maybe it was just the, a total failure that just like stays with you to this day. Um, you know, I can't, 
say that I know that I have failed in certain areas. Um, you know, my first dog with his one, one area called the duck search, um, that took me a little bit to get her through that. You know, I, I actually ended up testing my first short hair, took me four times, uh, reentering, you know, over a course of about two to three years to get a prize one with her. And again, I reflect back on that and, and have learned from that. And the duck search now is one of my favorite things to train dogs for, you know, including my setter. Um, you know, I'll tell a little bit of a story about my wife, and she's probably not going to like it when I tell Perfect. it. Perfect. Yes. But good, the good she, stuff. You know, I met my wife through – she showed up at my NAVDA chapter, and that's how we met. And, cool. Um, yeah. And she had she had her poodle pointer puppy there. Uh, excuse me. No, she didn't at the time. She showed up on a, on a Saturday, and usually what happens is handlers that show up on a Saturday, new people, they might be looking if they're going to run on Sunday, they might want to kind of check out the grounds. So I thought that that's what she was doing. I thought she might be somebody that was running and I got talking with her and learned, turned out she had a poodle pointer puppy and we kind of hit it off obviously. And, you know, I helped, I helped her a little bit, um, you know, training, I had access to birds and that sort of thing. Of course, of course that developed into a wonderful relationship that we have today, but she's extremely, um, passionate about you know the success of the things that she's involved with whether it was sports as she was a kid or you know this particular dog so she this is her first uh pointing breed she had labs and she grew up with english setters but this was her first first breed so uh, again that nervousness about i need to, to put myself in a situation where i want to be successful but things may not go there's certain things that like, I just got to let the dog do it. Right. It's out of my control. And she, her dog didn't do well in she, her first nav to test on pointing. She didn't get that prize one, you know, max score. I remember her always telling a story like she pointed that first bird and boy, was she pretty when she pointed that first bird and it was, you know, 150 yards out, but after that, it was a bird bonanza of takeouts after that. So, so it was all about that first point. It was a man, but boy, did she give a first good point and everybody ooed and awed that watched it. But Hey, you know what? That's not the testing system is, you know what you got to be, if a dog is taking out birds, you know, that's not going to give the hunter an opportunity, um, to shoot that bird. And that's what we're out here for. So she was so angry because she knew her dog could do it that um and you know of course I'm dealing with you know trying to attempt you know I'm in the middle of all this right trying to like she's mad she's really mad so and you also think she's cute too so this yes, is a con- this is a conflict of interest for sure absolutely so <laughs> she now mind you of course I was not judging that's that you know we actually oh, have that a helps yeah, yeah that helps yeah we I was just an observer that I was just a helper for the day um, and it's actually a rule that you can't judge your spouse or significant other or somebody in your household, which is a good thing in, in NAVDA, uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, that should but anyway, be required in every organization or yes, every, well, you know. it's been, it's been the case for many, many years in NAVDA and it's, you know, it's a great thing. We'll just leave it at that, that, that yeah. it doesn't, yeah. doesn't unfold because people, you know, I'm attached to that dog too. Right. And I don't want right. to be impartial in my judgment that's unfair to the dog and the testing system so unbeknownst to me she immediately got on the navda navda website 
and started looking up other chapters and actually found a chapter in New Jersey, right? We're talking about how do you find tests? Well, she did all this, you know, within a matter of days. And she, she, she tells me, we're going to New Jersey. We're retesting my dog. And I was like, I was like, okay, I'm not going to argue. Here we go. So we went down to New Jersey and mind you, this is the puppy test, right? This is the young entry level test. We, we go down and she has a, a like wonderful field run points, every bird, beautiful. Like we worked on that a little bit in between going down to New Jersey is about, uh, we had about a week or two to kind of work on some stuff with her. She does amazing in the swimming, not a problem. And she gets to the pheasant track and the pheasant track that the, the NA puppy has to, you know, focus on a pheasant that's run away. The dog doesn't see it and track that bird and show that it has a tracking instinct. Well, this was not her day for tracking. Mind you, at the previous test, she pulled off a great a great track. But today, it was not going to happen on the t- – so we now you – now she got a prize three on, on that test because of the tracking. So now this – you know, put, put yourself in my shoes right now. But we've tested in Maine. We went out of New Jersey, tested again. Now she's really mad. Right. So, so I'm driving. Now I know why you've been up to, now I know why you've tested in Nebraska and Iowa Yeah, exactly. So, so, you know, the, I'm, I'm an extremely supportive husband. My wife will tell you that. And, you know, we're on the drive home, you know, I'm trying to say, look, this is a small window of this dog's life. You know, the dog is, you know, under, you know, the dog at the time, I don't remember the age, but it was probably, um, you know, about a year, year and a half old, somewhere in that time range. And you got so much life ahead of this dog, right? You know, you're, you're and, and and this is a common story with a lot of NAVDA handlers are so passionate about their dogs. They just want to see their dog successful. And so that was the only testing opportunity she could have for that dog. But what happened is again, over time, right? You learn from that situation and, you want to continue. You want to. You want to maybe work towards the more advanced tests, like the u- utility preparatory test or the utility test. So, my wife entered. You know, fast forward one or two years, and my wife entered. You know, the utility test and did extremely well. Prize one utility test and qualified to go to the invitational. Uh, a few years back, went to the Invitational, had a long training summer, and the dog is now past the Invitational and is now a versatile champion. And one wow. of the dogs, you know, that we like right now, if I was to pick a dog that we have that we own, you know, we own four dogs. If I'm going to pick a dog, particularly to go duck hunting, it's going to be that it's going to be her dog because she's really well mannered in a duck blind. Um, she's she we can put her in a canoe and she's you know gonna sit there and 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 just give us a good time and some laughs so there's that whole story you talk about right and of course in that process right my wife amanda she met long life friends she she developed mentorships just like most people do you know her and i in that time frame you know we got married um and and we're both heavily involved in our chapter so there's where you know, that story of like, man, it just didn't go well when this started, but guess what? It, the, it, we had a really happy ending with that dog. You know, oh, that's an awesome story. I think that that really sums up the community of bird dog owners and trainers and 
just everything about the experience, the ups and downs, the highs and lows, the laughs, the fun, the trials and tribulations. It's it's fantastic. I we will there's one last question that's been on my mind and without looking at the database that you guys have, is there one breed that continuously rises or sits at the top or continuously scores at the highest and then the opposite. Is there a breed that continuously falls short of what people would want it to do? You know, I don't, I don't, that's more of a question for probably, um, the direct, our director of testing or even our red, uh, our, our woman, Lisa Pure that handles our registry. I don't actually know what consistently is the dog that performs the highest on a percentage basis in the tests that they run. I will tell you though, that there are more, uh, the sort of the top three or four breeds that always are tested and do consistently well in NABDA are the German Shorthair, uh, the Poodle Pointer. The Poodle Pointer is actually fastly, fastly climbing and perform and showing that that performance uh, in NABDA test. The German Wirehair and, and the Graffon, the Wirehair Pointing Graffon. Those are probably the top four um, that consistently do well. I've never tracked or, and I don't think most people would want to know, man, we got this breed, you know, and they just, they just aren't cutting it, you know, just doofuses out there. (laughs) Right. But, but I'm going to tell you, if you looked at that data now, right, maybe some of those breeds that are not as common and fast forward 15, 20 years from now, I, I would almost guarantee you that you would see that breed and their test scores increase and get better and get better and get better over time. And that's, and that's really, why is yep. that though? it's because of the whole NAVDA system, right? That you, you, as you test more dogs, you see their scores, responsible breeders look at those scores and they pair their dogs together. Um, it's that's that I will tell you, there's a couple of those breeds that I've even seen in, in my time. And even going back that you can tell, like, you know, those dogs that were tested, 20, 30 years back, you know, the, the German shorthair was not what it is today, you know, 20, 30 years ago, as far as success there, I will tell you some of the most pleasant dogs that I see now. Um, and some people would, would be surprised at that is actually the Spinoni Italiano. So the Spinoni is one of those dogs that I look at and there's been a lot of dedicated breeders in the world of, of the Spinoni that have enhanced that breed. You know, I, I talk to other judges and they say, you know, every, every Spinoni that I see now, holy cow, that's a good running dog. And 30 years ago, you probably heard a different story about that dog. And that's part of the development improvement that, that, that NAVDA fosters over, over a long range of time. Um, so it's, it's, again, I go back to the core mission. It's all about improving the, the, the breeds. It's all about improving the breeds. So we as hunters can have awesome days in the field with friends and family and, you know, rem- remember our dogs when they're gone, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Andy, appreciate you taking the time today. And obviously all the volunteer hours that you've spent with NAVDA and helping other people with their dogs, especially your wife's. Good for you. <laughs> well done. Well done. Um, yep. I wish you a very successful season. Uh, someday I'm making it up to the Northeast and maybe yeah. I'll be 
happy to walk the woods with you and, and one or two or three or four of your dogs. That'd be, that would be a true honor. Absolutely. Let me know. It should be a lot of fun. All right. Sounds good. And again, if you have questions, topics, guests you want us to interview, continue to send them my way. I hear from several of you every week. It means a lot. And again, next week we are going to have, we're bringing the band back together, I guess we'll call it. And we're kicking off a brand new season. The television show's back. Hunting season is just around the corner. Plenty to get excited about. And if you want to find a NAVDA chapter near you, just go to navda.org, N-A-V-H-D-A, org andy once again thank you for your time we'll be back next week with another episode of the flush podcast i'm travis frank reminding you to take the time to introduce someone new to the field 